Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, today I'm going to preach on the Jesus Revolution. Look out. Look out. Yeah, I'm going to preach on the Jesus Revolution. John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Last Sunday night, Perry and I saw the Jesus Revolution movie. Ah, that kind of snuck up on me. I was like vaguely aware at one point that this thing was happening. And then I, then I saw it and I said, oh, Perry, there's this, there's this Jesus Revolution movie. We should go see it. She said, I've been telling you about it for months. <laughs> you know, you're not paying attention. Oh, okay. So <laughs> we went to see it. Uh, first of all, the, the theater was packed and that surprised me. I thought, I thought it'd be Perry and me and two other people. But it was, it was a packed theater. As we walked into the theater, we were with a group of about, I don't know, six, seven, eight orthodox monks and nuns. And I just thought, oh, I know that. I know there's a story right there. These, these are Jesus freaks who through some long, strange journey ended up in orthodoxy. I, I just said, I know that. And the audience was really engaged with the film. They laughed and applauded and cried. Perry cried through most of it. Um, I didn't cry because big boys don't cry. <laughs> well, Perry cried on my behalf. She was my surrogate crier. Because we felt deeply because there was just such poignant nostalgia for us to see a version of the Jesus movement as experienced by someone else. Uh, we lived it. I mean, we lived our own. Ver it wasn't exactly the same. But we lived our own version of it. In fact, at the end of the film, Perry texted our kids and said, if you want to know what our life was like as teenagers, they probably don't, but if you want to know what our life as teenagers was like, go see the Jesus Revolution because the fact is we lived it. Um, as far as the filmmaking goes, the movie is very well done. I mean, as far as like just, you know, acting, editing, cinematography, music, all that, it's, it's well done. Uh, is it a fair depiction of the Jesus movement? I don't know. It's, it's one telling. It's one version. It, it's not our experience necessarily, but it reminded us so much that we thought, well, it could have been our story. Uh, we liked it because it just reminded us of that very special time that we lived through. Um, it was a time when not thousands, but eventually hundreds of thousands of young people were being inexplicably born again. Hey, it's, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the word or hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going so you can't explain how people are born in the spirit. There was a period of time in the 1970s when you might just walk up to somebody and go, boo, and they go, I think I want to follow Jesus. It was just, you couldn't explain it. Um, hundreds of thousands of young people 
We're becoming followers of Jesus. You could report on it, and people did report on it, but it would be very hard to explain exactly why it was happening. You know, the wind blows where it wants. And the wind blew across the youth counterculture of the 1970s, and there was this phenomenal revolution. Now, in retrospect... I think it's fair now. We got some distance from it. I think it's entirely fair, entirely legitimate to describe the Jesus movement as the third great awakening. 1840s, first great awakening, or 1740s, 1740s, first great awakening, 1850s, second great awakening, 1970s, third great awakening. Um, Now, Perry and I, we lived a Midwest version of the Jesus movement. We weren't in California. I I was never in California until I was in my (laughs) thirties. So California was, you know, this mythical land, but it had nothing to do with what we were experiencing. Uh, For us, the Jesus movement was not spread by Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith to us was, he was the pastor of the church where the Maranatha music was coming from. Greg Laurie, he was, he was the guy that wrote some tracks. Uh, at that time, we'd never even heard of Lonnie Frisbee. Many years later, we heard of his remarkable story, but at that time, we'd never even heard of him. For us, uh, the Jesus movement came to the Midwest by the spirit and by the music. Who we had heard of was Larry Norman and Love Song and Phil Kagi and Paul Clark and Keith Green and Resurrection Band and all that. That's, that's really the vehicle that carried that spirit and that phenomenon. And the lasting legacy of the Jesus movement uh, is the global phenomenon of contemporary worship music. The Jesus movement was moved by the music. I mean, that wasn't, it wasn't fringe, it was the center of it. And it, to begin with, it wasn't worship music, it was simply young people young musicians encountering Jesus and then writing a song about their experience. But then it began a little later. So what if, what, what if, what if we did like worship music, but a little rock and roll and and all the older people said, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no. And they said, well, we're going to, (laughs) and it happened. And so, you know, if you're in a place where, you know, they play electric guitars and bass and drums and the, the worship's a little bit rock and roll. That's where it comes from. It came from the Jesus movement. That's the most lasting legacy. Now, the epicenter of the Jesus movement here in St. Joseph was the catacombs. It was, um, it, the catacombs was one of the many, one of the multitudes of coffee houses. The Jesus movement began not in the church, but outside the church. And young people would gather in what they called coffee houses. And they were music venues where, where what was center was music. But the theme of all of the songs was that Jesus is alive and changing lives today. And these, these coffee houses, there was no, it wasn't organized. It was, they, just, they just sprang up all over the country. Here in St. Joseph, there was one called the Catacombs. It met in three different locations during its history. But um, it first was on 3rd Street in the basement of the American Tavern. And, and it was sub, I mean, it was aptly in catacombs. Because you went, you went these steps down into this place and it was dingy and dark. And it felt like catacombs. 
but it was called the catacombs, I think, because in the Jesus movement, we felt this connection with early Christianity. And of course, the catacombs of Rome connected with the early, the first Jesus movement, the one not of the, not of the 1970s, but the one of the 70s, just the 70s. And so I didn't, I didn't start the catacombs. In fact, it was started by someone I never met. It was started by a guy, a kid, teenager, by the name of Art Felsberg. I never met him. He then, after he'd started the catacombs, meeting in the basement of the American Tavern on 3rd Street, and then he went off to college and then suddenly, unexpectedly, died from complications of diabetes. I never met him. Then I, then, I, then I met Jesus, and then I heard about the catacombs. I said, well, I probably check that out. And the first time I went there, I met Perry Bachman, cute little hippie chick for Jesus. <laughs> and there's a lot of history there. And, and by the time I was about 17, I was leading the catacombs, I, which is bizarre, but it happened. And it was, it was this music venue, you know, it was this music venue. I still remember, you know, getting a phone call from this guy named Steve Grison out in, in this mythical land called California. And he's saying, well, we've got, we got, the, we got the biggest thing out here and we want to book him at your coffee house. I said, well, who is he? He said, Keith Green. I said, never heard of him. Because his album hadn't come out yet. But, but that's, you know, so it was a music venue place. And, but, it, but, it, but then I also began to, some, sometimes you couldn't book an act and I was left to like, I have to get up and preach. Because, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a band to book that night, so I would speak. And I'm going to tell you, this is, this is the truth. Word of Life Church is essentially the catacombs 50 years on. It's really what it is. There's just a, a continual thread, an unbroken flow from something a guy named Art Felsberg started. I'll get to meet him in heaven. I'll say, well, I, I, I kind of filled in for you. You got something started, I kept it going. And so that's what, that's what Word of Life is. And I do feel like, I just, I just feel like part of my calling is to be a keeper of the flame. To, to try to preserve and carry on that radical flame that was the Jesus revolution. And I've just been trying to do that. Now, in the movie, this, I'll come back to the movie just for a second. Part of the storytelling device of the film, The Jesus Revolution, are these two famous Time Magazine covers. And so in, this, in the film, you have this reporter from a magazine. It turns out to be a reporter from Time Magazine. I knew that. I saw it all coming. Early, early in the film, they show the famous Is God Dead cover from Time Magazine. They show that. That sort of sets it up. You know, young people are like, done. They don't care. Is God dead? Probably. You know, it's kind of the end of, of anything Christian being powerful in America. That's the theme. And then just a few years later, bang, the Jesus Revolution. And Time Magazine is reporting on that. Well, for years, I've been aware of the prophetic juxtaposition of those two Time magazines. In fact, in fact, I have both of them. I keep them in my study. Just to remind me, you know, that, that 
we live in a secular and cynical age and some feel like God and faith are dead, but the spirit blows where it wants to. And in the middle of that, you can have a revolution. And those are, those are, those are the real, I was going to bring them out here, but they're so fragile. They're like, they need, they, they need to stay in my little museum. <laughs> they're just really fragile. So I didn't want to, so they just stay up in my study. Um, now, the article, I, I, I very carefully, you know, had to like to be careful turning, I, I reread the article. It's 11 pages, 11 page article, cover story on the Jesus revolution. And um, it begins, it begins with, the, the article begins with the text of the famous Jesus wanted poster. That if you're around the Jesus movement, you knew about this poster. We had one at the catacombs. I had one in my bedroom. Uh, I'm going to, you can't read it. I'll read it to you. Here's the text. This is, this is, this is wanted. Jesus Christ, alias the Messiah, the son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, etc. <laughs> Notorious leader of an underground liberation movement. Wanted for the following charges. Practicing medicine, winemaking, and food distribution without a license. <laughs> Interfering with businessmen in the temple. Associating with known criminals, radicals, subversive prostitutes, and street people. Appearance, typical hippie type. <laughs> Long hair, beard, robe, sandals. Hangs around slum areas. Few rich friends. Often sneaks out into the desert. Beware! This man is extremely dangerous. His insidiously inflammatory message is particularly dangerous to young people who haven't been taught to ignore him yet. Warning, he is still at large. <laughs> All right, so it's, it's, it's funny, it's kind of corny, it's a little bit cheesy, but don't dismiss it too quickly. There really was a radical, revolutionary, counterculture edge to the Jesus movement. The Jesus freaks, that's what they called us. The Jesus freaks took the hippie critique of American materialism and militarism and then found a better Messiah than the Beatles. That's where it comes from. Because Jesus launched the ultimate counterculture revolution. You wanna talk about something counterculture? The kingdom of Jesus is the ultimate counterculture revolution. It, it is, there's nothing else in the world like the kingdom of Jesus. And so that's what the Jesus movement was. It was an explosive, out of nowhere it seems, move of the spirit among young people in America and then around the world that was deeply revolutionary. But we were so very young. We were so very young. I mean, Perry and I, we were as, as young as you could be and really have been any kind of leaders in that movement. We're talking, you know, we're 16, 17, 18. We're young. And uh, I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm going to give up everything to follow Jesus when all you have are blue jeans, T-shirts, and a stack of records. That's all you have. I mean, it's not that much to give up. My major critique of the Jesus movement as it was, looking back, retrospect, 
My major critique of the Jesus movement as it was, was its escapist eschatology. It was very deeply rooted with the late great planet Earth business. You know, that pretty soon we're just going to get out of here. And that was very central. And that's my major critique of the Jesus movement as it was. Okay, but for me, the saddest thing is not that. It's how so many in the Jesus movement eventually abandon anything that is truly revolutionary. The Jesus movement eventually just disappeared into the tepid milieu of American evangelicalism. There's nothing much revolutionary about that. This is what caused the alarm clock. This is what caused the alarm to go off in my soul when I was halfway to 90. I say 45, that's when it was, but halfway to 90 gets my attention. So I'm halfway to 90. I have my roots in the Jesus movement. Everything's great in one sense, but there's this alarm going off and I keep having this disturbing question. Did we start out as revolutionary Jesus freaks wanting to turn the world upside down only in midlife to become petulant politicos with a Jesus fish on our SUV? And I thought, well, where, where'd the revolution go? Because this doesn't feel very revolutionary. This feels co-opted, compromised, very Americanized. And um, it's why in my book, Postcards from Babylon, I begin by talking about the Jesus movement because I was distressed at how many of my former Jesus movement comrades had sold out to a politicized faith. Instead of offering a radical Christian alternative to Babylon, which is what the kingdom of Jesus is, the radical alternative to Babylon, they were promoting a Christendom version of Babylon, which is to say they were no longer living as exiles. They, they, they just found, they settled into Babylon, become very comfortable. And I, I thought, no, we're supposed to be revolutionary. We're supposed to be radical. We're supposed to be subversive. We're supposed to be offering something that's really something other altogether. So, so the Jesus movement was mistaken in its escapist eschatology, but not as, a, not as, not as, I would rather have that than what so many ended up becoming. Proponents of a politicized faith. I mean, I just rather they just stick with saying everybody's got to choose whether they'll win or lose, follow God or sing the blues and who they're going to sin with. What a mess this world is in. I wonder who began it. Don't ask me. I'm only visiting this planet. Now, that's not true, really. I mean, we can't be that dismissive. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. No, that's not true. But I would rather that mistake than the mistake of becoming a chaplain for Babylon. Okay, that went over well. Um, a lot of my water to wine journey was a quest to recover the radical nature of what it means to follow Jesus. And I found it, by the way, and I found it, actually. Actually, I found it. Because I, I found, once again, a way for the, for, the, for the gospel to be scandalous and maybe offensive. Um, it turns out that the kingdom of Jesus was even more radical than I knew when I was 16. 
And I will not trade the radical kingdom of Jesus for the banality of partisan politics. You want to try to sign me up for that? Forget about it, brother. I'm not doing it. Uh, I'm still a Jesus freak trying to follow the lamb. I'm not interested in serving the elephants or the donkeys. So if that's your thing, knock yourself out. I won't be there for it. Uh, and I like, you know, I just, I kind of like, I like the moniker Jesus freak. It's, it was, it was intended originally as an insult. It wasn't, we didn't call ourselves that. People looking at us, our, our peers, our friends were like, you're like a, everything's like Jesus, Jesus, you're like a Jesus freak. And we're like, yeah, kind of. It's, it's really, it's really analogous to what Christian meant very early on. The first Christians did not call themselves Christians. It was people outside that movement. This is, you're like, you're like just Christ, 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 Christ. You're like a Christite. You're like, Christ, 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 you're a little, you're a little Christian. And they said, yeah, okay. And it's stuck. Well, I like the moniker Jesus freak. I don't really need any other label. I like it, first of all, because Jesus is Lord. <laughs> so it's got Jesus in it. And Jesus is Lord. And I like it, secondly, because if we who profess to follow Jesus don't at least now and then appear a little freakish to the wider society, it's probably because we're just too compromised. So what do I think of the Jesus revolution? Not the movie, but the spiritual phenomenon of the 1970s. What do I think? Well, first of all, I'm grateful that I got swept up in it. I was grateful. I'm grateful that I got to be a part of it. I mean, even then, even then we kind of knew that this was something special. But let's be honest. What do you know when you're 16? Not much. I mean, you don't have much of a frame of reference to, is this like, is this like normal life or not? Because I'm new at this thing called living. <laughs> uh, so I'm grateful that I got swept up in it. It was beautiful, it was magical, it was spiritual, it was real, it was revolutionary, and there's no doubt it saved me from a real destructive path. Uh, and I've never really joined anything else. I'm, I'm a notorious non-joiner. <laughs> I've never joined really anything else because it always just felt to me like the Jesus movement was enough. That I was just part of this thing that happened. And I, that's, that's been enough and I never felt the need. That's probably wrong, but I personally just never felt the need to join any other thing. Now, when I talk about the Jesus movement, people always ask me, can it happen again? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, of course, the spirit, the wind blows where it wants just as you hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from, where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born in the Spirit. Yeah, of course it can happen again. The Spirit does what the Spirit wants to do. And things like this will happen again. So that's, that's, that's my yes to it. But there's a no in that we cannot recognize what God is doing now by being stuck in the past. As if, you know, it's just going to be a repeat. As, you know, it's just, well, I know. Let's just start having like coffee houses and music. I mean, no, we can no more go back to the Jesus movement of the 1970s than I can go back to being 16 again. By the way, today I am 16 for the fourth time. I mean, literally, that's do the math. I, today I am, it's, it's, I call it my Beatles birthday. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. I mean, would I like to go back to 16 again? Sure. It'd be great to be 
have a 16-year-old body with a 64-year-old brain. That'd be awesome. (laughs) But you don't get to do it. So we can't go back. But what can happen is we can be born again, again and again. This is what happened. This is the challenge that Jesus presented to Nicodemus. This comes from our scripture reading today. So Nicodemus, leader of the Pharisee movement, the teacher of Israel, comes to see Jesus by night. And Jesus says to him, look, Nick, unless you are born again, born from above, unless you rethink everything, you'll never perceive what God is doing. You'll never see the kingdom of God. It'll be there. It'll be happening, but you won't recognize it. You'll miss it. Some people think that Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Nicodemus completely understood. And he plays along with this metaphor and he's saying, look at me, Jesus. I'm an old man. I'm 64. (laughs) Can, can Can an old man be born again? Jesus says, verily, verily. Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you do, you're going to miss this thing. And to his credit, he did. He did rethink everything and began to believe in Jesus and stood up for him in the Sanhedrin and then was there to to bring a, a kingly amount of spices for the burial. It was his testimony. I believe this is the king. This is the Messiah. No doubt Nicodemus was one of the early Jesus followers after the resurrection. The wind blows where it wants and I'm just, tr- can it happen again? Yes, the wind blows where, and I'm just trying to pay attention. I'm not gonna try to repeat something, that'd be silly. That's, you know, you know trying to recapture youth can be an embarrassing thing, don't do that. But just be aware of what God is doing now, right now. But I will, do, I will say this, if you want to experience your own personal Jesus revolution. I think there are some things you can do. I will suggest these. I don't want to be too prescriptive, but this is for what it's worth. Here's my suggestion. Number one, come to Jesus with your questions. Come come to Jesus with your, this is, this is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is prominent. He's famous. He's the teacher of Israel. He's the leader of the Pharisee movement. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Get out of your mind that all Pharisees were, were bad guys. They weren't. He's a good guy. And now Jesus has burst onto the scene and has thrown him off because on the one hand, Jesus was doing these miracles and and he knows that God must be with him. Now, now some of his friends, some of Nicodemus' friends say, oh, those signs, those are just, that's that's of the devil. Nicodemus says, no, no, this, this man is sent from God. But it's thrown me off because he's not one of us. He's not acting like a Pharisee. And I always thought that when God really decided to move, he'd move with us. And it's not happening with us. It's happening outside of us. And Nicodemus is troubled by this. And what does he do? He comes to Jesus by night. He comes with his troubles. He comes with his questions. And they have this conversation. I mean, I mean, just, you know, before you decide I'm just done with being a Christian, why don't you just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have these questions. I'm troubled about this and this and this. And just sit with Jesus a little bit. Give the, the essence of the Jesus movement is the reality of the possibility of a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Give Jesus a chance. Say, Jesus, I'm wondering, I'm doubting, I'm wrestling, I'm thinking. They're saying this. What it, Jesus, I'm going to sit with you a little bit 
And if you'd like to talk to me, I'm all ears. I'm here. Talk to me. Come to Jesus with your questions. Number two, let Jesus speak for himself. Um, here's what I'll say about the Jesus movement. It was aptly named. It was a movement that centered entirely on the person of Jesus. I can say this, for whatever it became and wherever it went and you know, the movements, they don't always last, I get it. But we took Jesus seriously. And we took his words seriously. We actually believe that Jesus probably meant what he said. For example, we took the Sermon on the Mount seriously. I, mean, I remember being 16, reading the Sermon on the Mount and going, okay. Well, you know, the waging of war is incompatible with following this Jesus because, you know, I just I read, I read what he said about it. And, and so I know this at 16. But that's radical. That's too radical for most people. I mean, one of the reformers, I'm not going to name names. I'm feeling a little bit kind today. One of the reformers, not too kind, but a little bit. Uh, one of the reformers said this about the Sermon on the Mount. It's just law. It's law. It's no grace. It's just law. You can't actually live it. Jesus just preached that sermon so that people would try to live that way and then be frustrated and then say, Jesus, save me. Oh, come on. Yes, Jesus actually intends us to live what he sets for on the sermon. Jesus is not playing a trick on us. He's not punking us. He actually is setting forth what the kingdom of Christ lived out looks like. You can't do it on your own. You need to do it with a community of people committed to this. But you know, it's in, so as, at 16, I knew to take the Sermon on the Mount seriously. And, but then as time went by, I got taught. <laughs> I got taught. And I just noticed that I moved. I didn't, this was not conscious, but I moved out of the Gospels. I moved more into the Old Testament and into the epistles. It's all canonical text. It's all scripture. I get it. It's fine. That's great. But I also kind of believe in the primacy of the gospels to mediate everything else. And the gospels just got sort of set aside as the backstory. And all the theology comes from either Paul or I would say a misreading of Paul. I'm not going to, it's not, Paul's not the problem, but it's the misreading of Paul. But when I had my water to wine encounter 19 years ago, one of the things that happens, I found myself back in the Gospels, taking Jesus seriously, letting Jesus speak for himself and listening to him. You know, my friend uh, Shane Claiborne talks about red letter Christians. I get It's all the inspired text. It's all canonical, the whole Bible. I get that. But there's something about saying, you know what? I'm going to take these red letters seriously. And I'm going to pay attention and let Jesus actually talk for himself. So, so first of all, come to Jesus with your questions. Number two, let Jesus speak for himself. And finally, number three, don't attach Jesus to something else. Jesus will not, Jesus will not serve any other ism, cause, or political party. He won't do it. He won't do it. He's got his own kingdom. He's not going to promote your cause. He's not going to become a pitch man for what you're so passionate about. Christ can inform us on a lot of things. But be careful of trying to attach Jesus as a pitch man to anything else other than his own kingdom. 
The Jesus that is trotted out as a pitch man for some other movement is, that's the Jesus of marketing, not the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So beware of attaching, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know, I actually believe that, that Jesus is the way. There isn't some other way and then, and then oh, Jesus can you know, sort of endorse it. No, Jesus is the way. Jesus, what is truth? Je- the truth is the word of God made flesh who is Jesus of Nazareth. That's the truth. And he is the life. And we come to him to find that life. There isn't life anywhere else. So this is the Jesus revolution. And this is the second Sunday in Lent. And I've already told you what I'm giving up for Lent. I'm giving up complacency. No complacency. And my theme, my theme for this Lent is let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His appearing is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the showers, like the spring rains water in the earth. And when you press on to know, to know the Lord and he comes to you, that's your own Jesus revolution. And it can happen in your life this month. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. Now, today is a great day. Today is a great day. The Lord's day is always a great day. But today is a great day because we're baptizing people today. Somebody say, oh, yes, amen, amen, amen. So those of you who are to be baptized, would you come and stand right here in front, just face me, but come right down here and give them a hand. A lot of young people are, there's a lot of young people. A lot of young people. A lot of young people who are all in. They got it on their t-shirt, I read it, all in. They're all in. I think you should give them a better hand than that. This is fantastic. I'm going to, I can't wait. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to do two things. First, we're going to make a confession of Christian faith that goes back to the beginning. This is what your spiritual ancestors nearly 2,000 years ago would confess they believed before they were baptized. That's what they said. I believe, and we're going to do that together. And then we're going to receive communion, which is the communication of the life of Jesus Christ to us. Uh... And then you're going to be whisked off to get ready to be baptized. And when you're baptized, we're all going to just celebrate and, and just go, yes, this is, this, is, this is the Jesus movement right here. It's, it's, it's continuing on. Amen? All right, so join me with these that are to be baptized, but the whole congregation, first of all, confessing our Christian faith in the form of this ancient baptismal creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, together, let's confess our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. 
by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. So in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. And it is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you.